Hey friends, Carolyn here. If you enjoy listening in on our conversations each week about what's happening in the world of media and pop culture and how that impacts our larger culture, please head on over to patreon.com slash femfreak and help us keep bringing FFR to you. Remember, this show came out in 2016, like, and Trump was elected that year. And so I think a lot of us were so grateful for something like this in a moment that felt dire and bleak and literally was everything that we imagined it to be. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Anita Sarkeesian, and I'm joined today by two of the biggest fans of the Chip Driver series of mystery novels, Carolyn Pettit. Love those books. And Ebony Adams. Can't wait for the next one. This week, we'll be talking about the final season of The Good Place. Here we are. I actually forgot. I was like, hey, Carol, what the fuck are the Chip Driver series of mystery novels? I was (laughs) like, it's a true fan. I clearly forgot about this reference. Like, that's not even Easter egg level. That's straight up in the show, obvious. I mean, I mean, he does solve the mystery by like the tenth page. So maybe calling them mystery <laughs> novels is is you know they're really the mystery more... is why won't someone actually write them and put them right on my table? Yeah, I mean they're mystery novels slash techno thriller slash golf tutorials. So slash erotica. Ah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds amazing. I bet that. Um... I just got a, a visual of like all of the self-published shit on Amazon that are just like people's fanfic weird novel. I'm things. all for that, but um, yeah, but, but and, not uh, the good stuff. Sorry, I right. know that sounded like I was denigrating fanfic, which I'm not, because Ebony and I are going to write a fanfic about space vaping, about space vaping. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. About yeah, Ka- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Carol. I don't know if you're watching Picard, yeah. but Michelle oh, yeah, Rafi. plays. Yeah, with I the love space vape the way in her she space vapes, trailer. The way she space vapes. It's 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 it looks rad. She, I know, right? It right, totally like, glorifies space vaping, but I'm like, damn, she, <laughs> you know, she, grow your own. You, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's do this. For four seasons, The Good Place expertly melded hilarious comedy with sincere explorations of what it means to be a good person. The core group of characters had a way of always being endearing and relatable, even when they were also being exasperating. And the show framed its moral explorations in a warm light that encouraged us as viewers to forgive the characters and ourselves for our moral slip-ups and shortcomings. Now, Michael Shore's series has come to an end, but not before one final season that asks some big questions about where the meaning in our lives come from and whether or not infinite, unending bliss is actually what we want. We're going to miss the show, so we wanted to bid farewell by talking about it here on Feminist Frequency Radio one last time. Yeah. I'm, I am sad. I had not, when the show first started, like the first two seasons, I was that person who was watching it like the minute it aired, you know, like week on week. Um, and then in seasons three and four, you know, life kind of got away from me. So I would, you know, catch up, <clears throat> binge, like mini binges and whatever. And I just don't think I was prepared for the ending and how much I would actually feel something. You know me, I run from real human emotion. But um there are some moments that I think we'll probably get into during the course of this episode where I was like, you know what, this, this show made me think and it affirmed um, the way that I've been thinking about life and how I can navigate what I'm trying to do as a person that I just thought was so, so very human and I don't know. I, I don't have the the words for it. Um, Michael Schur and his amazing writer's room definitely did. But whatever. I'm going to miss the show is the point of that long-winded intro. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting the way that season four uh, acknowledged um, uh, how co- how complicated life is today by using the point system as this as this means of sort of talking about how, well, today everything is so interconnected that, you know, even a nice gesture that you might try to do because we live in this this global like capitalist mm-hmm. system, you know, where, you know, it's it's like there's no ethical consumption right under capitalism where like anything you buy, you might it totally inadvertently be like um, uh, uh, contributing to the exploitation of 
labor or you know what have you like and and it's like impossible unless you live like doug Forsett, you know and you're (laughs) isolated and and drink your own pee and you know whatever and like grow everything you eat and all of that it's like impossible to to avoid um uh, ethically thorny at the very least kind of kinds of situations right um uh, I really appreciated that aspect of this season for one thing. One thing that I love about about Michael Shore shows in general, um, so we're talking Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine Nine, and The Good Place, is that uh, the and and he's the creator of them, but obviously there are really talented people working in these writers' rooms that are bringing so much to the table. But what I love about them um, and The Good Place is very much this: is that they're very subtly progressive. So um, there are these like little tiny ways um, that there are comments here and there that are just deeply progressive, but are also not alienating to people who might not be. Um, And not that I think, not not that I'm making a statement about how we should be talking about progressive politics, but I do really appreciate that in a show of this caliber and this, um, this way that we can, you know, I think that entertainment is a way that we passively take in values and messages, right? And so if, if a show is subtly doing that for a very large population, I think yeah. that's great. And also with The Good Place, uh, it is very much deeply rooted in commentary about what it means to be good, right? About philosophy, about engaging with these ideas. And so um, I, I love that. And, I, you know, I'm I'm glad the show ended in a way that was solid, right? Like yeah. each season had this distinct arc and each season when it ended, you're like, where can they possibly go from here? And they do something wild and zany that just works. And so I'm really happy that they're like, the time is over. Like we have told the story we want to tell and there's not anything. There doesn't need to be anything else. So it's leaving us with a really good feeling about the arc of this show, right? And, and being like, The Good Place was solid and amazing and wonderful. And I wish other shows took note. Yeah, I mean, as much as my lizard brain would have loved three more seasons, if they had just continually, um, you know, retread, like, we're actually in the bad place or surprise, here's what you thought about this, but it's actually this, it would have diminished the important things the show was doing. And yeah, th- I mean, like, this, the show was funny and it was entertaining. It wasn't, um, it, it wasn't dry I didn't feel as if I was being, you know, taken to school. And yet, and yet, there were things, you know, um, like the names of philosophers that I'd never heard of that I was like, you know what, I think I might actually check this out. Or I had not thought about, like, living an ethical life in this way. Or, um, like, the question of the afterlife. What does that actually mean to me? Um, that, yeah, as you, as you say... You got a little, like a spoonful of sugar, help the medicine go down. I will say, like, as much as I love the show, there were things that um, I I don't think it questioned. Um, the show is very white, you know? Like, it's just, it's very white. And so there are ways in which things are posited as kind of like universals. And I'm like, this is a universal for a, you know, like white, straight person middle class person too um but my version of the afterlife if it is people you know with like a truly kind of representative crew from my life if i'm truly going to be happy in the afterlife it's not that white you know like it's not and yet i feel like this was sort of acknowledged early on though in terms of you know like when you meet chidi we hear him speaking english with an american accent but he's Seneca from Senegal. Yeah, but this is a, like- this is a problem, right? That um, and it's kind of a, a problem within the universe of the show and the meta universe for us as viewers. That if, in fact, and I recognize that the show is fictional, so please don't at me on this particular issue. But if indeed, like the 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 afterlife, the good place, the bad place, whatever, is full of more people of color. But you as a person see white people because that makes you more comfortable or you hear English. That's a problem. Right. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, like well, that's not, you know. But also, I'm I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just I'm being a dick right now. Um, But Anita, you don't have to. I, Did you it, learn nothing it from a good me, place? But it reminds me of the Star Trek translator. 
Right. Right. Or like any of the shows that have translators yeah. where you like all you you can communicate because you can hear in the language that you speak. And yet that is um uh, that is created by living creatures. It's not some sort of like outside force, this order of the universe mm. um, that has done this. Like, you know, whoever is responsible, the, t- the people, the creatures responsible for the creation of the universal translator, as, you know, sciencey wincey as that is, of course, they would choose to have this functionality. But to have, you know, some presumably outside force dictated. And that you wouldn't automatically understand everything all of a sudden. Right. But again, in- but for me, the, the race is the yeah. main thing, as if like, you know, um, whiteness is kind of a holder or default or unraced thing, you know, but we never see that from the other side, right? Like we don't see Chidi or any of the other people people of color looking around the good place or the bad place or the medium place and being like, oh, yeah, it's all black people. It's all Latinx Mm -hmm. people or whatever. Even just that kind of acknowledgement would have been something. But we never get that. So, yeah, that was part of it. Also, another thing that we get um, some hints at, but we don't really get explored. And I think the show could have done it. It was certainly smart enough to the ways that behaving as a good person Um, according to ethical laws, is contingent upon where you are in life, right? So the decisions you make as a person who lives in Libya, you know, are different from the choices you make if you grow up in rural China versus somewhere else. Um, Like, it would have been nice to have some sort of acknowledgement of that too. You know, like, what is... That is not a universal point that is culturally relevant. Yeah, in all the ways that that means. Yeah, yeah. but again, like I said, I love the show. I'm not, yeah, yeah, yeah. the show cannot be all things to all people, but it can also not be simply, you know, white inflected all the time too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, oh, sorry, Carol. No, no, yeah. I mean, no, I, I, I agree. I agree with all of that. Um, um, I did, you know, I think Brent, the, uh, the character of Brent in season four, I thought was a stroke of genius in oh, yeah. that. He did allow the show to spotlight here in the final season um, a particular kind of, uh, of I mean, <laughs> yeah. of white male um, uh, arrogance and 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 I mean, I guess you could say that yes, the, the the show the show is critiquing white men who think they're the center of the world, even as to Ebony's point, it is sort of the show is overall centering whiteness by default. So there is that kind of tension there. But, you know, but I nonetheless thought that all the commentary that Brent um, allowed for was really fantastic. You know, Eleanor says, um, as they're sort of trying to figure out, like, who are these new, uh, these people that we're, we're tr- we, we have been given to improve and so on. Like, guys like him think that the world revolves around them because it kind of does. Like, the show acknowledges that it is not, it's a larger systemic issue and that Brent's perception that he is the center of the world is reinforced by everything around him in the world that tells him that he is the center of the world. Yeah, and it's so insidious and so entrenched that at the end of the show, we see that Brent has not made it to the good place, you know, <laughs> like everyone yeah. else we see has has done the work that it requires to become better. But Brent is still like, OK, but if, you know, I give her a, a compliment that other women have liked or whatever he says, yeah. and you're like, this dude, is is it possible that he's never going to get it? Like it was pointed and barbed and I loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, there were so many great moments with Brent where he would do I mean, I mean, it's a, he would do exactly the sort of thing that people l- like Brent do. And the show would react <laughs> the way that we always want to react to that. Like when they're all playing a Pictionary or whatever the good place equivalent of Pictionary is. And, and Chidi is in his usual anxiety ridden state of indecision. And Brent says, just start drawing my brother. And, and Simone, <laughs> like I was so grateful for the way Simone was, she was just like, oh no, no, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. Like, because yeah. it was exactly like my, it was exactly giving voice to my own cringe, the the cringe that I was feeling inside myself at that exact moment in response to what Brent had said. Um, It's a great example of using comedy to actually critique instead of just 
like comment on or point out right that like they're like here's a thing that's racist and we're gonna tell you that and it's still like naturally flows and feels good i think that that's kind of the magic of this show is that it can make these big statements and do these these you know larger commentary and critique of larger things while actually being entertaining and enjoyable and you're just kind of going with it still you know yeah. 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 I, I loved the character of Simone. And to be honest, <clears throat> as much as I love Chidi and Eleanor uh, individually, by the end, I was not sold on their kind of, you know, eternal love for each other. The chemistry never was quite there for me. I felt as if my my brain was okay with it, but my viewer's heart was never really there. I really kind of wanted, you know. Plus, you know, that one of my things is I loved Eleanor and Chidi's relationship. Actually, I think Angelica Bastian, genius that she is, um, might have written something on this. I'll, I'll try and find it and post it in the show notes um, about how there is something very important about um, media that does not uphold the notion of like heterosexual romantic relationships as an end goal. And so for Eleanor and Chidi to be such good friends should be enough. There should not have to be this kind of like central romance of the show, this one true love soulmate kind of thing. And if there is, um, yeah, that's cool. But for me, it just didn't work with that particular couple. Um, And speaking of like the, you know, um, kind of overwhelming whiteness and middle classness of the show, it's also very straight, you know? Yeah. It certainly is that. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Though, you know, I mean, and and I not to take anything away from from what you just said, but, um, you know, for me, I, I I mean, I'm a romantic. Right. I mean, I think we sort of know this. And spoiler alert. And and so for me, the way that the show was committed to like I like, you know, the way Chidi writes himself that note that says there is no answer. But Eleanor is the answer. This Mm -hmm. idea because like. I mean, I love that the show, I mean, the show talks a lot about how a lot of the meaning in our lives comes from our connections with other people. And those don't have to be romantic connections, of course. They can be all familial and friendly. And of course, like in the show, I think recognizes that. But, um, you know, like, I mean, I- I'm somebody who's who definitely uh, really hopes to find like a partnership at some point in my life. Like a partnership, I think, I- is something that that is very, very important to me. And And I think that, uh, so I don't know. So so for me, I, I was I was glad personally that the show came down on the side of saying like like yeah, you know, it's okay to have to have to believe in the idea of like of like a person who whose just presence in your life is like real is is a tremendous source of like the meaning um, in your life. I yeah, you know, I mean, I I, I think that. I think that there's a lot of cynicism around love and relationships nowadays, I guess, in a lot, in a lot of media on this podcast and on this podcast. And (laughs) so, you know, like for me to, to see like a a sincere, uh, uh, affirming of the idea of that, of that kind of, um, you know, commitment and, and importance to each other was, um, I don't know. It, it, it was heartwarming and affirming to, to me personally. Yeah, I totally get it. I guess I I I really liked um, Janet and Jason's kind of relationship, even though it was played for jokes in a lot of the ways. And it's completely inexplicable. And she's not a girl Um, for as a as a side thing, as a sort of background feeling. um, Their relationship worked for me. I I don't know. I just like I said, I I just know I I I I love the idea of Chidi and Eleanor together, but it just never rung my bell, mm-hmm. you know? Sure, sure. So one of the things kind of related to this that I really liked is, um, well, so my experience was I watched, I like caught up on like three episodes and was like, holy shit, it's done. That's amazing. And then realized that there's another episode. So the second to last episode to me was like solid enough that it could have yeah. just ended apparently. But then, then I was like, what the fuck are they going to do with a whole nother hour? Um, and so... What I loved was, I I love the commentary around having everything you want is boring. Yeah. 
Um, I love uh, what's her name playing Hypatia. Lisa Kudrow, yeah. Yes, which was amazing. And also, um, we write about Hypatia in our book, History Versus Women. So pick up a copy. Yeah. Um, but I love this idea of like, we've been here for so long and had everything we want that I don't know words anymore. Like the the thinky book man and the, and the like, the math. Is there math on my shirt? Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, like that shit I thought was really funny. And so, you know, the very human centered solution of um, an end right. is, is really um, fascinating and interesting. And I really like that. So all of that to say is how each character found their piece and that the them describing this like I've completed what I need to complete I'm ready to go now uh, I really really thought was I, I thought it was very thoughtful in how the writers chose to do that and I like that it wasn't related to romantic relationships mm-hmm. right like I like that Chidi was like I love you but I'm done yeah mm-hmm. right like it just and that Eleanor was like I don't know what I'm do like I I'm not satisfied yet and I right. don't know what that means or. Um, Jason being like, I played the best. I played <laughs> game the most of Madden, game yeah. of Madden ever. You know, like, but just, just all of that. Um, I really liked that it wasn't related to other people, and it was very much about internal, like, looking within yourself, finding peace or whatever. I mean, granted, the larger commentary, like, it's not like we have enough time to learn how to be a perfect, make perfect Danish lines and shares and like repave a a, a driveway or whatever, but like that our happiness and our satisfaction in life does not come from other people while also recognizing that we are creatures of community and that, right. you know, um, the whole, I'm, I'm rambling, sorry, but the whole um, bit where Eleanor is talking to, what's her name, Melanie or Tiffany, from the, whatever. From the medium place? Yeah, some oh, 80s shit. name. Yeah. Anyways, he she's talking to her and being like, "You are like me if I didn't have friends." Yeah. So so both you find internal internal tranquility and also how important it is to have people in your life and people that are influencing you in positive ways and helping you grow and be better. So I fucking love this show so much. <laughs> I did too. I and the re- ending was so perfect. I really, when Jason, like Manny, doesn't uh, such a deceptively fine actor um and the the look on his face when we realize that he's you know come to the realization like okay i think i'm done and yes it's funny because you know it is because he finally <laughs> played the perfect game of end but um <laughs> but when he's done and you just think i've watched this character grow over the course of four seasons um and achieve a kind of peace and contentment that i really do i'm so glad that he has achieved, but knowing that that moment in the episode that like, oh yeah, this is this is it for them, you know? Team Cockroach forever, but they're not gonna walk through that doorway hand in hand, all four of them, or you know, six if you count Michael and Janet as well. This, this is the end of this time. Um, and yeah, I, it was just so bittersweet. Um, but Chidi's really just, the way he decides, the, when we learned that like he stayed longer, that he actually had the realization, you know, way before he tells Eleanor. Um, but then it's just finally too much. For, oh God, this yeah. is my heart. My heart and is that. Please tell me that calendar is available somewhere. It's, oh, it, the it, they, they have to have made that and sold it. <laughs> if right? there's not an official version, I guarantee you, there's Someone's sixty versions on Etsy. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh now. my God. Um. Also, there's a there's such small. There's so many small references that, like, if you don't know them, it, you they pass you by. But if you do know them, you're like, holy shit. So there's a moment when the judge, when Michael uh, finds out that the, the committee has been disbanded yeah. and she comes out in, like, you know, a towel and she was obviously, like, working out. Yeah. She's wearing a T-shirt that says East Dillon Lions, which is a Friday Night Lights reference. Aww. It's just such a <laughs> random, like... She loves her TV. She yes, does. Totally. She does. But, like, uh. that was clearly someone... Someone's either on the writing staff or a costume or whatever is like, I like this show and I want to shout it out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, just like that. Everyone so knows the signage on the show, you know, from like the names of restaurants and boutiques and stuff. There's so much like the show. It, it does feel as if there's deliberate thought at many layers. It's not just that surface layer, but there are um, implications to things and there's 
you know, callbacks and allusions to things. So at the end of this, when, you know, Michael achieves his dream of becoming a real boy, Aww. you know, and it's Michael, a real man. Like in an earlier episode, maybe in like season one or two, he talks about how um, one of the things that he would love to have um, or experience as a human is having like um, a frequent flyer reward card. Mm. And so to have that come back in the very last episode, like I love that shit, you know, I just, I loved it. And then when he's like, and also like, this is so cheesy, but it worked for me that like when Eleanor goes through the door and then her like, her, her body like disbands into energy and that energy then gets infused into humans again. And like, it was the cheesiest shit. And I swear to God, in any other show, I'd be like, oh, fuck off. But it worked. But in this one, I was like. Oh, yeah. I'm so loving and, and I mean, it, it, it's, it's thematically <laughs> it's thematically appropriate for the good place too, because you know, so Chidi um, talks to Eleanor uh, on like one of their last nights together about you know the the Eastern the the the, the idea of of um, you know the Buddhist of, of philosophy like about the, the wave, wave mm-hmm. and the wave yeah. like exists for a while and then it becomes w- water again, but it was always water and it's always been part of the ocean. And so it's kind of a, a visualization, I think, of that idea in in a sense, right? Um, yeah, totally. But it yeah. works. There's the thing about it is the sincerity of the show is so heartwarming. Yeah, right. And we've talked about sincerity a lot. Um, on this podcast because it's such a complicated thing in today's day and age. And it feels very vulnerable to be sincere. Right. Um, but that the sincerity on the show is so, so heartwarming. Like actually remember this show came out in 2016, like, and Trump was elected that year. And so I think a lot of us were so grateful for something like this in a moment that felt dire and bleak and literally was everything that we imagined it to be. Um, and, and that this show has been around for like such dark, difficult politics. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, there's something about it ending that's really sad in terms of the fact that this show gave us so much sincerity and hope and joy and lightheartedness and depth, um, in, in this current climate, in this current environment, you know? Yeah. I just, you know, like I said about feeling affirmed, there are times I'm currently in one where I just feel to what you're saying, Anita, um, like such despair over what we can do. You know, it seems as if the hurricane of shit that is imminent, you know, um, in all of our lives. And if it's imminent, um, that only means that it hasn't hit us yet. And it has hit so many people, you know, it just feels like what, what can one person possibly do? <clears throat> the way that this show constantly suggests that, that what the one person can do is everything. Um, because that one person can connect with another person and can make this huge change. But also the idea that like, goodness is some ineffable quality that you either have or you don't have is bullshit. The goodness is in what you attempt to do um, and what you do do, you know, but there's no like, I am a good person. And so if I um, uh, do these X, Y, and Z shitty things, they somehow don't count. No, those the consequences are real um, for that, you know, and that you can practice being a good person. I just found like, it's such a revolutionary um, and ultimately hopeful message that you can keep trying every single day, every single moment to be better than you were in the last moment. I just, I love that you, we come out of the show feeling like, yeah, there's no, um, there are huge things that we cannot solve alone, but there are things that we individually can do. Yeah. The, um, the stuff with people connecting with their families. Yeah. Uh, hit a little bit for me in terms mm-hmm. of like, oh, like you can have better relationships <laughs> yeah. with with family members or others that were difficult or challenging. Like the Tahani being like her and her sister bracing for this really awful reunion with her parents and them being like, oh my God, we love you. And you But know- more importantly, like they did the work to realize they had fucked up. Like it wasn't on Tahani and yeah. Jamila to be like, okay, we forgive you without her parents, their parents having to do the work to be like, you know what? We were shitty to y'all, you know? Like, and 
It took them a while. They clearly, Tahani and her sister, have been in the good place together for a while. It took the parents a bit to get to that point. I appreciated that, too. Yeah, totally. And and also, like, Chidi and um, Eleanor talking about, like, having dinner with their parents yeah. and the relationships between them and stuff. I just, like, there was something kind of magical to me about, you know, there was a part of me that's like, oh, that that we should work on our shit here while we're still alive, duh, whatever. But also, like, I don't know. It just, it, it made me think about relationships and the strain of relationships and yeah. are, are there ways to make those easier or, or, or like, uh, repair them and heal them? And the reality is, like, the way that the show did it is that, like, death changes you. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's a huge thing that happens that causes you to see your actions, um, which, you know, is not something you can just... Yeah. Like, like if you well, have a shitty relationship with someone, you can't just be like, hey, I want to like make this better if they also can't uh, do that. Well, right. yes, I know. I mean, because the death that the characters experience on the show is symbolic, like because the the real death on the show is is the when they go through the door at the end, I think. Right. Like that's the like the, the thing that we all have to crossover where we don't know what happens afterwards. So for me, it's like the death that takes them into the good place is, is like, if we're applying it to our own lives, like that's not, I don't know. I mean, you could look at it in a number of ways, obviously, but I I do think that I I don't think the show is saying that we can't um, make those changes and, and, and stuff, you know, have some kind of, some sort of transformative desire to improve ourselves or improve our relationships with others. Like while we're, while we're here. Yeah. I mean, I think that's totally what it's saying. Like, I think, I think they are absolutely saying that that is a thing we can do. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying it's not as, it's part of that like sincere optimism of the show where when you start thinking about those relationships in your life, you're like, Oh, that feels like a lot of work. And to, to Ebony's point, like not everyone is, ready for that right if you have a if you have a difficult relationship with your parents oh yeah and it's them that is part of like a big bulk of their reason or their behaviors or whatever they're not going to change because you watched a tv show that made you want to have a better relationship right yeah but that's there is something comforting about like uh, i've got a shitty relationship with my dad um and I, I don't see that there's a path towards reconciliation and maybe there um, shouldn't be at this point, but it's not over when we die. You know, the show positive and whether you yeah. actually believe that this occurs, it was comforting to be like, I still have this desire and that desire is legitimate and it's authentic and it's human. And I just don't want this to be the end, you know? And so maybe there's some kind of way um, to, to keep working on this once we, um, you know, the wave dissipates, but we're still in a a state where we can, this, this desire um, to, to be more whole and be better towards each other um, can exist. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I really loved that for Tahani because some of those scenes, as funny as they were, the way that her parents completely dismissed her in favor of her sister, they were hurtful. Yeah. You know, like it was hard to watch sometimes. Oh, totally. Um, I think about the rest of the characters, and certainly as we learn more about Eleanor and her backstory and the way she essentially had to raise herself, that's also tough. But in terms of like family dynamics, it's a wonder that Tahani is as well adjusted as she is in life. And she isn't particularly well adjusted, but yeah, she went through some shit. I mean, you know, poor little rich girl. I get it. Okay. But (laughs) still I felt something. All right. You had feelings. It's uncomfortable for me. I am definitely in the Brent camp. It's going to take me a while to get to the good place y'all, but I will keep writing my erotica slash handball tutorial slash crime <laughs> drama <laughs> series and i'll get there eventually mindy mindy yes yeah mindy good work good work i was just like cycling through 80s names you know this Tiffany, whole time in mindy, the background this whole time I-, I was thinking about Derek's floating head that was <laughs> amazing it was good i have to say like whenever i think of mindy the fact that at least for like the first two seasons when she would always ask if people had cocaine was so good it never stopped being funny <laughs> it ne- never it was know? great like just as an a kind of you know 80s nod it was so good just constantly asking people yeah do you have a look up all right y'all any other th- any other thoughts before we move on excited to see what michael sure has your has next yeah get on that dude <laughs> no breaks yeah 
What were yeah. you going to say, Carol? Sorry, I interrupted you. I just want to, you know, uh, t- shout out the the wonderful, like, throwaway jokes of The Good Place one last time. Like, like part, a big part of what made the show what it was is just just its ability to just have little lines of throw, like a throwaway joke that was just hilarious. A few of my favorites from the final uh, season were, uh, you know, there's a passing reference in, in The Bad Place among the demons to the performative wokeness department. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Really appreciated. I loved that when Sean wanted uh, a bad person's data, the person he finally settled on was PewDiePie. Yes. And, oh my God. <laughs> and also, it had what I think was, you know, at least to me, a, a genuinely funny. Uh, sexual harassment joke, which was a, a bad place demon when they have to go do something, saying, I hope it's not more sexual harassment training. I'm already so good at it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I really like that. Yeah. I do also want to talk about like, a lot of stuff that happened in the end with relationships, like there was a lot of growth in a lot of them in ways that were really charming. So like, Sean... Like being like, I want to be evil, but but I just mm. actually want to compete with you because that's yeah. more fun. You know, like the the calling out of that, um, Michael. Um, you know, kind of having to be checked a little bit in terms of um, relinquishing space to to uh, what's her name, the other demon to uh, Vicky Vicky to yeah. create the the yeah. the test right because she was really good at that and him acknowledging that that's okay that somebody else is good at that yeah. um you know like little little things like that with characters that have been pretty like very entertaining but very like one sided right or like you know two dimensional in some ways even though very lovely so I, I enjoyed those those Me moments too. I never listened to um the the actor who plays Sean what is his name Mark Evan Jackson. Don't Something's, know. Anyways, he's got a podcast um, oh. all about The Good Place, um, in which he hosts other actors from The Good Place, and they talk about you know the episodes and their characters and whatever. And um, I'm looking forward to listening to it. You know, now that the show is officially over, and kind of revisiting it, and certainly picking up on tons of things that I didn't pick up on on you know first and second viewing. I just it's so nice to be able to relax into a piece of media in which you know that careful thought has gone into every decision and that you have got smart people in the writer's room, you know, actually hashing out ideas. Um, I think, you know, there's this notion that if you have this kind of like singular genius of a showrunner, that it is their singular vision that will end up on screen. This show has always felt um, very collaborative and multifaceted, you know, both within the um, the body of the show with the characters, but, you know, the, the different episodes, the different seasons have had different tones. And I think that's just a credit um, to the writer's room that, that uh, sure put together. So shout out. I also want to say that um, while two, two of the actors have been around, like are known, mm-hmm. known people in, in acting. <laughs> well, wow. um, that the, that Tahani, Janet, um, Jason and Chidi were all relatively unknown mm-hmm. with various levels of experience. I think this was Tahani's like real first, not her name. I forget her name. Um, Jamil, Jamila, whatever. Jamil, yeah, yeah. Um, was like her first. It might this might have been her actual like I first so, acting yeah. gig. And uh, like, there's something really nice about a show taking off like this with such a um green cast yeah. and and you can feel the camaraderie and spirit i watched the little bit that plays after the final season where it's this round table conversation between them and just the like the relationship and the care that they all had to like lift each other up and like teach each other different like acting stuff and and all of that i thought was really really nice and you know we rely so much on big names to sell things that it yeah. i just i liked that they all have lovely careers ahead of them yeah. from this Oh, the good place. All right, y'all. We'll be right back with our weekly freakouts. Although I feel like that was just one big freakout. It was. (laughs) It was a quiet, sweet freakout. Hey, FFR listeners. Did you know that if you join our Patreon community, you can get nifty perks like early access, exclusive weekly bonus segments, access to our friendly Discord, and more? That's right, you can get cool stuff and help us keep doing FFR at the same time. What are you waiting for? Go to patreon.com slash femfreak. What's your freak out? 
Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Carolyn, what do you got? Uh, okay, I'll, um, huh. hmm. uh, sorry, like I, don't have a, go first? I don't have a strong, free, I, I don't have a strongly committed freak out this week. So do you want me to me, go first? No, 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 I, I, oh, okay. I'm, I'll just, um. um Good, because the audience doesn't want that either. Um, so I will freak out about the, a, a film on the Criterion channel, obviously also available on Criterion, like, blu-ray dvd or whatever um but um there's a a film called um until the end of the world by wim 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 wenders um who uh it's it's a film that was originally released so it was i think shot and released in like 1993 or thereabouts shot you know released in the early 90s at around a three-hour length um but um, the director uh, felt that that was an, an extremely like truncated version of the film that did not reflect, you know, its true vision. So, what Criterion is, has now finally released um, the director's, um, you know, full five-hour uh, vision for the film, and um, it's a sci-fi film. So it's, uh, you know, sort of like Strange Days. It's a film that is. Oh is set in in 1999 when when 1999 was a year in the future that that had this air of like uh of 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 both doom and transformative hope around it like what what could it what could that year mean and what will it mean going into the year 2000 and everything so it is a science fiction film that envisions a very a very distinctive, it has a very distinctive vision of what 1999 would be. That is, of course, it is not at all what 1999 actually was, but that is a lot of fun to, uh, to, to, to witness. Um, it is a, an epic road movie, um, that, uh, and a big part for me of the pleasure of watching it is just seeing all the cities and the locations that the character's journey takes them to. Um, it's just, in, you know, in my mind, it, it's, it feels a bit like going on a journey yourself because you get such a, a wonderful array of locations that are so beautifully um, shot and, you know, and, 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 um, and captured um, in the film. Um, I the the film certainly has its its problematic elements. Um, so uh, you know this is not a, a a full pass for all aspects of the of the film by any stretch. Um, but um, and I'm only so I'm watching it like an hour a night, and I'm mm. only I'm, I'm three hours through, so I've got you know two hours left to go. But um, it uh, yeah, it's a it stars uh, among other people. It stars William Hurt and Sam Neill. And Sam Neill, boy, in the early '90s, man, there was just there was something about Sam Neill. Um, he I follow uh, him on Twitter. I don't know if you do too, but he is a fucking delight. Yeah, I, I I see some of his animal. You know, he loves his animals, and he's he's very sweet and charming man. Um, but God, he had a he had a, a a pretty special charisma, I think, on screen in the early '90s, and you definitely get some of that in this movie. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, difficult plot to summarize, so I'm not even going to try to explain the plot. And it's not really a movie you watch for the plot anyway, so much as for the. The, ex- the the experience of the adventure and the globe hopping and all that, but until the end of the world, it's on the Criterion Channel. Check it out. Mm. Awesome, Ebony. <clears throat> uh, well, I wanted to freak out about um, Atlantics, but we're going to be talking about that in an upcoming episode. So I will save my freak out. I will flesh out my freak out and then save it for that episode. But one of the things that I will be talking about in that episode, I hope at further length. Uh, is the look of the film. And so my freak out today is just about cinematography and directors of photography and how we should just be showering them with all of the accolades. It's pretty much one of the few categories I'll be giving a shit about at tonight's Oscars. Uh, we're we're recording this on the, the day the Oscars will be airing. I uh, recently saw The Photograph, which is Stella McGee's new film with Issa Rae and Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, and various other amazing actors, Rob Morgan, who I would walk through fire for. I just think he is um, amazing. Was but it good? It is good. Um, it's not really my type of film um, in that, as you know, 
And as I repeatedly exclaim, I don't like feeling things. So a film that asks me to feel things, I'm already suspicious. But what I loved, I absolutely loved about this movie. And Caro, I think you'll know what I'm talking about here, even though I'm going to stumble over my words. The, um, the, the DP for that film managed to evoke time and place in a, just a stunning way in, mm -hmm. in certain scenes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Issa Rae is a, a beautiful woman, and Lakeith Stanfield has a face that is so interesting to look at. It is still true today that not as much care is taken in um, lighting in particular people of color, especially black people, right? We get sort of washed out if we get anything. Um, but a, a DP, a cinematographer, um, you know, just that entire team um, on a film who can bring out like the luminous qualities of brown skin, it is so wonderful to watch. There's a quality of a kind of soft light in the photograph when Issa Rae is like, walking down streets in New York that reminded me so much of film in the 70s, you know, just the texture of it um, and the way things were framed, but particularly um, just the way that we can, we can see everything about her face and yet it's a very soft, not focus, but a soft light surrounding her. Um, I just so, so loved. Um, so yeah, I, I, I am freaking out about people who know how to light black skin and shoot black skin. Um, for the week. And like I said, I definitely want to talk about this. And when we talk about the Atlantics, um, there's this incredible scene where our lead characters in this nightclub um, just kind of sitting on a couch in this loungy area. And these green lights are playing over her face. And I just, I could, I could have stared at that particular, you know, image um, for hours, for hours. So that's what I'm freaking out about this week. Nice. DPs who know their shit. Excellent. Um, I am uh, shouting out a book that I was staying with a friend in DC and we were talking about food and traveling and she's like, here, read this. It's a very short book. It's called Convenience Store Woman by Sayaka Murata. So sorry that I said that completely wrong. Um, anyways, it was a it's a Japanese book. It came out in 2016, won a bunch of awards, and it was translated into English in 2018. And this is the first book that of hers that's been translated into English. It is weird. Like it's just straight up weird. Tell me more. Um so it is about a, a young woman that works at a convenience store and is like she is a part-time convenience store worker. Also, the author herself is a part-time convenience store worker. Um, and this, the protagonist is a woman who has always felt like she doesn't understand how society works and is different from everybody else. Uh, so there's stories about her as a child doing things like physically harming someone else, but not understanding why that's a problem. Um, and as she grows up, she starts working at this convenience store and the rules of the convenience store are like her calling, right? There's a manual. She can learn. She, you wear certain clothing. Her identity is wrapped up in like understanding the weather patterns and what people buy based whether it's hot or cold. Um, and and you see her you see her engage in the world by mimicking others' behaviors so that people don't so people will like not treat her differently. Uh, even though she doesn't actually care about fashion and she doesn't actually care about the things that some of the other people do. You just, you watch her literally like chameleon herself in these spaces. And it, it sort of escalates because, you know, um, there is a hugely cultural um, tradition around like, you should have a better job than that. And you also should get married and you don't date and you don't like sex. I don't understand. Like there's something very, very wrong with you. So she kind of like fakes her way in a situation to mimic these things, um, even though they're, she doesn't care and she's happy being alone and working at a convenience store for the rest of her life. So it's it's weird. It's a very short read. It's very weird um, and and interesting. And what I what I think I found engaging about it is that it's actually dealing with capitalism and patriarchy and like cultural social standards on a very micro level. It's not it's not like a huge commentary on the world, but like when you distill it down, it's super, super micro and you can like pull out those pieces if you're reading it that way. Um, it's very interesting. The um, If this were 
um, a book by a Western writer, um, I think the assumption would be, oh, that character sounds as if she's on the spectrum. That's exactly what I thought. Right? Yeah. But you, this kind of forces you to confront the notion how many um, diagnoses are culturally determined based upon our expectations of appropriate behavior. And now you cannot simply, you know, um, map that template onto someone else and say like, oh, well, she's clearly, you know, autistic or has Asperger's or somewhere on the spectrum or whatever, right? Like there's, we can't just make, th- that's interesting. I'm going to check it, that book it out. It feels very, very spectrum-y, mm-hmm. like that there is something neuroatypical. And there is, obviously, with mm-hmm. the character, but I don't think that that was the intention. I think that her the intention of the author was to just show um to to illuminate and identify um culture like cultural norms and being and and engaging differently. Yeah. And yeah. what that means. If you right. you know and, and we're talking about a, a culture that is very specific. Yeah. Like Japanese culture is very rules based and very specific in terms of um of of things. People who can speak better about it than I can. So anyways, super interesting. We should end every episode like that. People can speak better. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's true. Well, (coughs) I don't know a ton about Japanese culture, but I do know some basics in terms of um, generally like, I I, I don't know enough for all of the nuances of the book, but I knew enough of it to understand why there's such a vehemence on marriage and career and and in ways that are kind of a little bit different than American culture, Mm -hmm. even though we do have that here. It's... um, uh, describing what quote unquote American culture is is super difficult because it's not one thing. Um, and I find that that comes up for me a lot when I'm traveling, especially through Europe is there is like a cultural identity to different countries in a lot of ways, like a Swedish identity or like a Danish identity. Um, it, that doesn't mean it's necessarily everyone in all times and all place, but um Anyways, I, that's a whole nother topic. Yeah, this Danish identity is making crime procedurals that I'm into. Okay, well, you can submit your own freakout at feministfrequency.com slash freakout. That's F-R-E-Q-O-U-T. Thanks so much for listening to Feminist Frequency Radio. Stay tuned for the freaking after party. Only available to backers of this podcast. You can learn more at patreon.com slash femfreak. You can find us everywhere great podcasts are found. If you haven't yet, go to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review us. And you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and all the social medias at FemFreak. This show is engineered by Rob Para. Carrie Stimson provides technical support, artwork by Jamie Varon, and our intro music is by Phil Circus. Join us next week for another feminist dive into pop culture. Bye. Bye. Later. Yeah.